Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. How do you deal with someone who comes in who has experience? They've done what they're supposed to do. They, they're listening to how things are done at their new place. They've been respectful about it. But now they have differing opinions of how you do things. How do you go about taking that... I don't want to say criticism, but new ideas, things like that. Like you do that better than anyone I think I've met. How do you get away from your own ego of being like, oh, this is, I'm teaching you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know like what it is about me, but ego is just one of those things I've, I've kind of always tried to pay attention to. And then I've had multiple times throughout my life for my ego to get crushed. Right. Give me, give me an example. Oh, we were just talking about jujitsu, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm the longest serving white belt at my gym, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it, it's just a challenge on a regular basis. That is just such a, such a hard sport. And here I am. I'm, I'm like one of these guys that I'm not the strongest. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the fastest guy like in, in very many rooms, right? And so... I don't know. I don't know if kind of like a combination of some of that stuff has just helped me just be able to put my ego aside, but I kind of like having those conversations because do you think I'm doing everything right on the fire ground? I think that there's a, uh, like a perception that if you are a new person and you're going into someone else's firehouse and you've ne- and you don't know any better, like do you think that you are the all knowing? That, that whatever you say is going to be the way that they're going to do it until they become that next level of firefighter when they start searching for better and more efficient ways to do it. I think what you said right there is searching for better ways. I was going to say the the biggest thing is getting a global view of the fire service. Cody, you know, you you have that ability because you put the conference together, you go and teach, but you also seek out instructors from all over the world, more or less to come in and teach. And when you start realizing that everybody has different ways of doing things and they're all good ways, that's when it's easy, like Cody said, to shelve your ego because it's like, well, there's a ton of different ways to do things. And guess what? I've liked some of them that I saw and now I'm using them, you know? Do you think that if you were a chief of a department, you could instill an environment where ego is pushed aside if you constantly brought in outside instructors. I think you got to do both. I think you got to bring in outside people, but you also got to put your own people up. Like Proof. send them out. Yeah, or also put them in positions where they're teaching to the department because you've got to empower your own people too, right? You've got to showcase them because every department has people that are phenomenal at the job that have a lot to offer you've got to put them out there too and give them the confidence, right? I mean, market yourself and market your department, so to speak, internally and externally. It seems like the business world does that a lot. We have a model that works really, really well, and now we're going to go share that with everyone else. And in the fire service, it's like, all right, everyone huddle around. We can't let anyone see what we're doing over here because of, I I don't, I have no idea. But it seems like to make more sense to bring people in to see how you're doing things and then send your people out to show them 
the way that's working for us and maybe start to pick up some things on the way. It just seems like a, like we're one of those weird industries that just tries to hide all your secrets from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one of the other things that I, I just look at is a, you know, I've got like, I probably got another 20 years until I retire. And if I stay in the same seat and I'm doing stuff the same way in 20 years as I'm doing them today, I'm left behind. We've probably seen that during our careers is that you've got a guy who is at the end of his career and he probably went to more fires than I'm going to go to in mine. And, you know, and, unless they continue to have these conversations about, Hey, what, why are you doing it this way? And I, I, I heard of a different way, right? Is there somebody that's got 30 years on the job right now that shouldn't listen to something that you have to say? Yeah. Right. I mean, is that, I think it's good to have, have those conversations. Anytime somebody's challenging you on something, if you don't have a good explanation for it, well then yeah, maybe it's time to hammer this out and just kind of figure out, is there something, can we tweak this to make it a little bit better? Is there maybe a compromise between what you're suggesting and the way we've been operating that makes, that actually does make more sense. And yeah, if I can push that ego aside instead of just being like, no, I'm the smartest guy in this room. I've been doing this for a long time. Shut up, kid. I don't need to hear it. Uh, you know, I think that's where we still have those, those areas where we can improve. Not just in East Metro, but in other departments, it seems like there's a lot more laterals happening than I've ever seen before in the fire service. What do you think makes people leave their, their departments? I think there are a bunch of different reasons. What would make you leave? Show me the money, baby. <laughs> is that, Show is me that, the money. You know that's not true. Because no. there's been a lot of opportunities for you to leave for more money. And you don't take them. I don't blame anybody for leaving for more money. You guys know as well as I do that you can be happy at work and make $30,000 less than your neighbor, you're still going to have a better quality of life. What would make you leave? Fuck, I don't know. Honestly, maybe the question that I could, I could maybe answer is that the reason I haven't left, the reason I'll never leave is because I got a family. I'm not leaving my family. We, we have built these relationships, right? We really try to do a good job of actually doing the brotherhood stuff that we talk about. My kids call the guys I work with, uncle, and their kids do the same. Our wives are best friends. We go camping together. We have spaghetti dinners at the firehouse all the time. We are super tight. It's like the best thing about being at the firehouse is I'm working with my best friends and really they are an extension of my family. And yeah, it'd feel like I was cheating on my wife if I, uh, you know, went to another department. But you've seen a lot of people come in from other places is there like a theme that you've picked up on of like, oh, you probably left because of these two or three reasons? Or is it all over the board? For me, I don't, I don't know if I've seen just you know, those two or three reasons. Obviously, you know, money, money is one of them. I think culture is that, that other piece. You know, people want to work somewhere that's, you know, for an organization that's bigger than themselves kind of thing. You know, not many people want to get into the fire service because it's just a, it's a regular job. I think it's one of the big selling points is that it's different, but not everybody has, has that great culture. And this is one of those things that it requires a lot of attention constantly to kind of keep that culture healthy and moving in the right direction. From who, from you or from chiefs? 
you know, everybody has the ability to influence that culture in their organization. To me, I'm not sure that it's, you know, one particular rank that is really responsible for shaping the culture of an organization. It's a little bit of everybody. The thing that I've noticed in East Metro is that the people who are shaping the culture, they tend to be the folks who are just most passionate. That's one of the things that I've noticed as the culture there has changed during my career. And now we have a ton of young people. And I really kind of feel like there's this group that's probably between, you know, five and 10 years on the job. And we've got a bunch of those people, but they came in with a bunch of enthusiasm. And it's those folks who are the ones that are shaping and defining the culture at East Metro. And nobody's promoted, right? Those guys, a lot of them are still riding backwards. They aren't battalion chiefs. They aren't deputy chiefs. They certainly aren't the chief of the organization, but they're heavily influencing the culture. So you talked in the end about not promoting. Why aren't you promoting? Honestly, I kind of don't know what the future is going to hold for me. I'm kind of at this, I don't know, this year's been real interesting in a lot of regards. And so it's been something I've been kind of chewing on lately. I will say, you know, my decision not to promote up until this point, for the most part, it's been because I'm doing the job that I wanted to do. I'm riding the back step of a busy truck company in good sized city. You know, my 18 year old self, like super, super (laughs) excited, right? You did it. Yeah, Yeah. you're there. You made it. Right. That's probably the biggest reason I've stayed in the backseat. And yeah, I do think it, it's important. I also feel like staying in the back, it does show that you don't have to promote. And sometimes it feels like, you know, the culture really steers everybody that you have to go and take the test. You got to promote. You're going to not have very much influence in your organization. You're not going to be successful in your career unless you've promoted. And I don't know. I I don't believe those things to be true, but sometimes you didn't, you know, we don't have a lot of folks to look at and say, oh yeah, there's a guy who's been riding backwards for a long time. He still loves the job. He's still been successful on some stuff. He has had that opportunity and maybe has made some, made some changes even from the back seat where, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't always have to promote. And so I've been able to be at least an example of that. And so hopefully, you know, for folks that are like, Hey, I, yeah, I want to ride backwards for a little bit and gain some experience before I take that test. And now I'm in charge of other people as well. I, I just always kind of thought that was important. I think a big part of making a decision to promote is making sure that, and this goes back to trust, right? But you've found a way to prove yourself to others that are around you. I mean, it's going to be hard to prove yourself to an entire department sometimes, but before you step up into the front seat, your transition is going to be a lot easier if you've been a good fire. You You did talk about this in part one, which I thought was huge. It's like, how many promoted officers and chiefs and deputy chiefs and chiefs, how many of them that are considered good now were good firefighters? And the answer is almost all of them are good firefighters that are good chiefs. Yeah. And the bad ones really were not anything to write home about as far as their reputation as, as being good firefighters. I think that's the biggest thing is like, make sure that you, you know, you prove yourself as a firefighter before you promote. I think the other big thing is just, you know, like, how do you, how do you stay motivated on a project and that sort of stuff? Like, do you feel like you're having an impact? Do you feel challenged? 
that's one of the things that probably holds our attention more than anything is a challenge. Why do you like going to jujitsu? Because I, you like I, getting your ass kicked? This morning, I did not like going to jujitsu. <laughs> right? Do you, it's not because you like getting your ass kicked. You like the challenge, right? And it's mentally and physically challenging. I think for, for my career, I've still had a number of challenges that have helped keep me engaged while performing really the same job. From an outsider's perspective, you created your own fire conference. You didn't need to be an officer for that. What else do you need? You can do whatever you want from the back seat. So like, why would you, what is going to push you to promote? My knees. Oh, is that, I mean, honestly, is that like your, but is that going to solve your problem? Yeah. I I don't know. Like you you and I both know that that's not going to make it any easier on you physically just because of who you are. Yeah. You're going to grind as an officer too. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucked. (laughs) (laughs) is there like a uh is there like a trigger point where you're like all right now's now's the time because i feel like i luckily am in a similar position to you where like this is the most fulfilled i've ever felt in my career Mm -hmm. because i finally feel like i'm like just starting to grasp my job i feel like i'm improving and like the firehouse family is what i wanted it to be I could sit here the rest of my career and I think be, be happy. So like, is there something at least in your life where you're like, okay, now it's time. What if the whole crew leaves? Yeah. Like, would that be it? Could. I'll say again, you know, this year has been a little bit different for me. And one of the things I've been chewing on is this decision. And I'm kind of curious, you know, I was curious what was driving that. And honestly, I think what it is, is that there's people who can do my job better than I can now. And it's people that, you know, I've probably had a hand in training them up. It's probably one of the best things I can say about myself is that <laughs> I helped people get here. But now there are people that can do my job better than me. So now, you and, need, now you need to go fix all the lieutenants. <laughs> and no, <laughs> but there is this feeling that, you know, maybe I should just get out of the way for some of these folks, right? If I left my seat and we could steal you... <laughs> You, I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> how much better would the technical rescue program at East Metro Fire be if you were assigned to the tech house? I'm curious to know what about this year has made you feel that way. It's not like these people just joined the fire department. The people who you're talking about. So yeah. like, what about this year? If it's something you don't want to talk about, don't worry about it. But if is it something specific? A lot of it may tie back into my point just a a minute ago about the challenge, right? Throughout my career, I've just kind of had this recurring challenge with new people, right? It's a revolving door for probationary firefighters to come to a truck to get some time. And so I just, I always had a project. I always had that challenge. And one- Now, Now people are doing that like training for you almost? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that I kind of step back and give them the opportunity to do the things that, that I did because it served me really well in my career. Right. I, I got a lot better at these skills whenever I was teaching them over and over again. Right. And I was, you know, doing them over and over again. And so, yeah, I kind of feel like I don't really need to be the one out there always kind of leading the training and, and that sort of stuff because yeah, I've, you passed the torch in in a few ways. Yeah. You can put yourself in a position now to just facilitate it. You know, yeah, or just get out of the way because 
the guys that are doing it now, they're doing it better than me, right? They're, they're taking the good things that, that I taught them, the things that were important, and then they put their own little spin on it, right? Then they kind of, you know, put the sprinkles and the cherry on top. What about promoting is like something that's really intimidating or, or, or scary for you? Leaving my family, you know, again, uh, if I take the test, I'm not, I'm not getting back. Not for a while. It's a good house to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just feel like I still have some stuff to offer, like particularly on the technical rescue team. I have like two things that kind of come together and like one plus one is greater than two kind of deal where I have skills because I've, I've been there. I've got skills in multiple disciplines that I'm pretty good at. And then I also have this organizational knowledge about how the team works and how it's worked and where it was in the past, where we're going in the future. And so I have these two things that are super valuable, super valuable for the team overall. And if I leave, there are definitely people there that, you know, are going to fill those roles, but it almost seems like a, a waste. Uh, again, I could point to you and say, Hey, you know, like your knowledge, your passion for ropes and what you could do for the team, super valuable where this is something bigger than just Craig. You are changing the, the team and you're not even there. How much more of an impact could you, yeah, you could do could the you same have, thing, right? You could do the same thing. Cap, you have, I feel like you've gone from, from Lieutenant to captain and you've had some stents at two stations where you've kind of changed the culture of both of them while you were there. Do you ever feel like you should be moving around more like that battalion chief position where you have access to more people than just one shift at one station? So I did it once at fours. Yeah. Right? And you did it at sixes. And, it, and, and I did it at sixes. Sixes took longer. Fours kind of just came together. Yeah. Sixes took longer because it was, it's hard, dude. You're fighting with these people and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, ego and everything and there's more different ways to do things but i'm fighting with people on just like core firefighter values you know that's so frustrating so going out to another place and spreading the poison so to speak spreading the cure as uh, it's our like, guest tonight likes to it's say it's so it's so exhausting especially if you don't have support above you hmm I got kind of kind of a backup question for you guys on this kind of topic. How do we avoid burnout? There's a number of people in our our organization who've left to other organizations or they've left the profession entirely. I also see we've got really good individuals in our organization who whenever they get that opportunity to kind of go out to that retirement house, they take it and this has kind of been a question that I don't know. I don't necessarily know the answer to, but are there things that you guys do to keep from burning yourself out? And do you have just these, these times in your career where you just, you got to step back, you got to relax a little bit so that you can kind of recharge your batteries or just make sure that you can last that 30 year career being one of these hard chargers, trying to push the envelope, trying to change the culture, trying to, improve your skills and other people's skills. And yeah, like that stuff can be exhausting. How do you sustain that? I think burnout's caused from efforts that you put out that one, either don't come to fruition over and over again, or two are completely like squashed 
And so you have to find a way for guys like us and a lot of guys who probably listen to this podcast. They're the self-starters. They're the A-types. They've got ideas. They've got goals. They've got ambitions. They've got a lot of energy. How can you get rid of that energy, right, in a positive way? My personal experience is that having Fit to Fight Fire, having a podcast, going out and teaching, very similar to putting a conference on like you, Cody, that has helped me avoid burnout at some of the lowest points in my career, you know? And my lows relative, right? I mean, it may not be as low as some other people have been, and my highs may not have been as high as some others. But for me to avoid it, I've been able to direct those efforts when they sometimes aren't embraced in your own department. You have resources and vehicles, fortunately, to direct those efforts in a positive way and influence maybe the broader fire service as a whole, as opposed to just my own department. Had to make that change at times in my career. And that's helped me avoid burnout. But I've, I've been through it. You know, I've, I've been through that where you you put the fire service potentially ahead of your own family. And I think we've all probably had that where your wife sits down with you and go, okay, back it up a little bit. You know, we're, we're right here. Pay attention to us a little more. That's where you have to balance it at the same time. That's actually, I think we all should look at that. Anytime somebody close to us sits us down and like, hey, I'm over here too. We should take that as like, okay, that's actually a good thing. So we don't get burned out, like you said. I think that's another way of avoiding burnout is also dividing your time and interests that maybe don't involve the fire service, making sure you're involved with your family and your kids, making sure you're doing some hobbies on the side. That's that's also important too. You can't, you just can't be all in all the time with anything. It's just not that. You have uh, to take breaks. This job doesn't care about you nearly as much as we care about it. I think that's a good like mindset to keep. Uh, I two part answer when it comes to the burnout portion of that, I think it is a just change of mindset to what you consider a win and a loss. So here's an example. This past year, I wanted to get bailout kits for the whole department. I was lucky enough to be put on a a rig with one of the greatest dudes I know. And he was like, all right, I'll go on this journey with you. And we, uh, we busted ass for like six months every single shift, getting out to stations, talking to vendors, doing testing. And uh, I had someone at a station be like, yeah, I used to do stuff like that. Not anymore. Cause like this place is just going to screw you. And I was like, oh man, like that's how you lose people. I'm like, all right, well, what do I consider a win? Okay. I got super knowledgeable on this stuff. I had a whole lot of fun. And I figured out what I need to do better next time. I need to talk to these people over here instead of these people. And I'm going to set myself up better for the next one. So now you've taken something that totally could have just checked you out. All right, well, how can I turn it into a win next time? So I think that's that's one answer. The other answer is if you run a fire department like a business, you're going to have business problems. You're going to have people leave to go to other businesses. When I got in the fire service, there was no laterals. There was no, like, when you got the job, might as well get a tattoo of it because that you're going to be at that department till you, till you die. It's not like that anymore because we're no longer firefighters. We're stakeholders. I don't want to be a stakeholder. 
I want to be a firefighter. That's not why I, I joined up for this. These aren't our customers. They're our citizens. I think that if you are in an organization that values the core of why we got into this thing, that's going to keep people. And if you want to turn this into a corporation, you're going to lose people's passion. People aren't passionate about going to work at a big corporation. So I think those two things are like big parts of why the fire service is going through some weird times where people are just staying at a place for 20 years and then leaving. It's a long-winded answer for your it's good your stuff, question. Man. It's good stuff. I like it. It just, makes a lot of sense, man. I don't know where that came. I don't know where where this desire. Like I get it. There's budgets. There's you know you have these chiefs have bosses that they need to answer to, and it seems like a lot of chiefs want to create value by doing a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. You know what adds value is that people expect greatness when we show up, and if that's not the goal, like that gets people to leave. That's what would get me to leave. I like whenever you talk about passion, because honestly, whenever I boil down some of the success that I've had with, you know, like the new people that come through my station, yeah. I'm like, yeah, what's the best thing I did for you? What's the thing that's going to keep you going throughout your career, right? You're not just going to take the stuff that I taught you. You're going to take it to the next level. And it's sharing that enthusiasm and passion that you have for the job, right? Getting them passionate and enthusiastic about stuff. I'll answer that question because you were, you were my first mentor at East Metro. And I'll tell you exactly what stuck with me. It was your systematic approach to how you dealt with new people with what's the most important thing. So like first day, you're like, just put your gear on for me. Like, and you did it yourself, right? We both put our gear on. We talked about it and it wasn't a I'm going to sit on the bumper and tell you how to do this. It was, hey, we're in this journey together. The second thing that I thought was, and you mentioned it earlier, you came out and washed the rig with me in the morning. Everyone else was asleep. You had your headphones in. You didn't even talk to me. But like, that didn't matter, right? Like, we were out there. We were doing something together. And it was like, oh, this is like Cody. Like, Cody has got this aura around him. And he's out here doing this with me. Like I, that was super, super special. And the third thing was you always were trying to make yourself better, whether it was through the books that you read, the podcast, the, the whatever, like you were on a journey to make yourself better. And then I was like, well, shit, I should probably be doing some stuff like that. So those three things were the most powerful as someone who kind of came up in your wake. And now you're teaching me shit. You know, like, like how to just talk on a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know what I like, like about what you said, Cody, and I'll ask you guys this question, Cody, you said, you know, as a new guy moves on or guy that I teach him moves on, I ask him, you know, what worked for you? Ask him for that feedback. How many people do you know in your career that have asked you for a 360 eval? One. I you. know three. You. You're the only person. Well, and the reason I ask you is because I learned it from my training chief, but I know of another chief that has since retired that asked for one too. But you hear the feedback from those who are asked, you know, like, so chief comes to me, says, I need a 360 eval. I'm going to send you an email, ask you these questions, give me feedback. What am I doing good? What am I doing bad? What could I change? Can't promise you that I can change because I, and I understand that. Just that action right there, going back to creating buy-in, 
it's one of those little things, like you said, Cody, it didn't happen in the weight room. It didn't happen on the training ground. It happened in the office, right? But it was like, hey, I want to know how you think I'm doing things. You know, am I doing them right? Am I doing them wrong? What are your thoughts? That's probably something we're missing and supervisors in the fire service don't understand how important that is. We're a lot of times only concerned with our boss's opinion of how we're doing, but we're not concerned about, hey, the people we serve, what do they feel like? Because what it does is it opens up that line of communication. And I'm telling you, the conversations that come out of 360 evals, because it doesn't end there, right? It, you reply back and you send this. Then it, it leads to a meeting in the office and say, hey, you said this. Yeah, this is what I thought about. And then it just leads to a, a whole big conversation of trust building. Have you ever gotten any feedback where you're like, oh, shit? Yeah. Well, not oh, shit, but uh, when I was out at training, we all did 360 evals of each other. I sent my eval to everybody else, including other lieutenants that were out there, so the same rank. And I remember one lieutenant emailed me back, and this was after my first academy. This is before I became a lead instructor, and the lieutenant emailed me back. He said, hey, you know, like, the recruits start at 6 a.m., Sometimes you show up at 5.50. They don't know it, but you show up at 5.50. You're ready to go. You're always in there working out with them, but the staff gets here at 5.30, the rest of the staff, and they see that, and I see that, you know? And I think it would help with the staff if you got here when we got here, you know, and just you're preaching to the recruits. They need to be, you know, taking extra time, and they need to do that. They don't see it. Yes, they don't see it, but we have the potential to see it. And I was like, that's great feedback, you know, because it's like five o'clock, you snooze. And it's like, I was 20 minutes away. I would take my PT stuff home. So I would literally get out of the car. I'd get as much sleep as I could. <laughs> and some days I would get out of the car and I'd walk right into the weight room and be waiting for them to come in. And it's like, it's go time, you know? But it was just like that little feedback. It's like, all right, yeah, you're right. Gets you used to hearing feedback too. You know, like I think if you're consistently getting critiqued and not in a shitty way, like it's thought out, I think that helps keep the ego down a little bit. Like, okay, cool. I'm used to hearing things and reacting accordingly. I'm not always going to do it the right way. Right. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's something at home or something at work that has you put these unintentional blinders on, you know, and you don't see it, or maybe you see it and you just going to pretend it's not there. But somebody, that's what the importance of a 360 eval is, is, okay, you can't run away from it now. Like, they see it, you're aware of it, unless you want it to keep going down, make a change. And that's one of the biggest things that I got out of it, too, is I, I was talking to a lieutenant who, very close, you know, he spent some time with me out at training as well. He said, yeah, we, we when I first started at this station, we had a new battalion chief, just newly promoted, fairly good reputation. And he came to us after about three or four months and said, hey, here's a 360 eval. Tell me what I'm doing, what I'm not doing. They all filled it out. Didn't expect much change. But he came back to him, sat down with him and said, okay, I'm going to make this change. I'm going to make this change. I can't do this. I can't do that. That's big. It's huge. And he did make those changes. He sat down with him and said, this is stuff I'm not willing to compromise on. And it was backed by good stuff, you know, whether it's like safety or whether it's like, you know, the oath or what we said we would do, that type of stuff. But I will do better on this part. You guys are right. You imagine the buy-in that they now had from that, you know? Right. It's just the little thing, little thing is mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. 
Craig, you're like one person that you've seen a 360 eval from. How about you, Cody? You've seen, have you gotten a 360 eval from anybody? Me personally? Well, I know you put yours out and more or less verbally to yeah. guys that you supervise or you outrank, but have you ever gotten one from anybody that you work for? Nope. Nope. I'd say the closest thing that I got was um, working for a company officer a long time ago. At the end of the year, everybody was doing like evaluations and stuff like that. He kind of came at it from more of like a global perspective. He's like, I want you to write down things that we're doing now that we shouldn't be doing, things that we're doing now that we should be doing more of, and things that we aren't doing now that we should be doing and forward those on. And yeah, that was probably the first time in my career that again, you know, somebody that I was working for had an interest in what I thought of the direction, just, you know, the company overall, not necessarily me personally or uh, him personally, but like, you know, what are things as a team should we change? It's a good soft-handed approach for like your, your first time doing, if you're an officer and you want some feedback, like it seems like a pretty risk-free way to do that. You know, I think a big part of being the senior guy, because you can be a senior man, I believe in any position, but I think that you have the most influence in the back seat because you are getting everybody at the beginning of their career. You make the biggest impression on them. So that's where the senior man in the backseat is big. But I think one thing that the senior man needs to be known for and what makes us the senior firefighter that particular one, you know, the go-to is standing up for others, no matter what rank. But even the backseat, it, it makes a big impact when the guy who's 10, 15, 20 years on goes, this isn't right and stands up to say the people above them. Have you had that in your career, Cody, where you're just like, I got to do what's right. I got to stand up. Even though I don't maybe have the rank for it that some people think I might need, I'm still going to do it. Yeah. I have had an opportunity to do that. It's probably one of those relatively small things that you could do to earn a huge amount of trust. We've kind of talked about usually trust is kind of that, the inverse of that, right? Where it takes a lot of, you know, individual actions to earn a decent amount of trust. This was one of those opportunities where I, I felt like not only was it the right thing to do, but like it earned me a ton of trust from doing something relatively simple, but just sticking my neck out there is it. Yeah, I had a probationary firefighter that was assigned to our rig. We'd been out, surprise, surprise, out in the bays doing forcible entry. And guess what? I said, hey, why don't you take your badge shirt off? Let's just have your t-shirt on. Well, the firefighter put the badge shirt on the back of the rig and shit, we got a call and forgot about that badge shirt that was there, ended up out in the street. And somebody turned that shirt into headquarters and headquarters found it with the name tag. It worked its way back to that battalion chief. I can't remember if it was later that day or the next shift. We were out doing some battalion training where it wasn't just our rig present. There were multiple other rigs at an acquired structure. Chief shows up with the shirt and in front of everybody goes on like this five-minute tirade about how incredibly important it is for you to always know where your bad shirt is and just went on and on in front of everybody just making this firefighter feel like a huge pile of garbage. And I'm like, this is, this is bullshit. One, you shouldn't do this in front of everybody. I get it. You know, like, should we take care of our equipment and our uniform and should, yeah, should we be better? 
absolutely. But you know what? This firefighter was working her ass off in the apparatus room. She didn't get any credit for that. And it just felt like, you know, we, we lost sight of a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. The $3 badge that, <laughs> that we got, you know, we're not, we're not losing much here. Right. But just stepping up and being like, Hey, this got handled completely inappropriately. This isn't leadership. And this isn't the way, you know, you should talk to somebody if you've got a, a problem with them or you see an area that they need to improve on or right. Like we, we should all be better, better than that. And I'm sorry that you had to go through this. It's an opportunity for growth that was wasted. Yeah. It also exposed that officer to everyone else, like how insecure they are. They're like, they need to ridicule this new person for making a simple mistake. Like at least someone in the crowd, I'd be like, Oh man, that's a shitty officer. (laughs) Like, have you seen this though in the fire service before a new person gets ridiculed for a simple mistake and there's other people there that have the opportunity to just step up and be like, that ain't right. That ain't right. Or that's All not, right. it. that's not how we handle. That's not how we address mistakes. So, um, so let's so, talk about why they aren't standing up. Why are they not standing? I got up? a quick question before we go there. If you are in that group, do you speak up in front of everyone or do you pull that officer aside afterwards and say, Hey, I, I don't think you handled that very well. Because if you call that officer out in front of everybody, aren't you kind of doing what you're pissed off about? That's a good point. And yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it depends, though. How bad is this going? Uh, I see what you're saying. Right. So if it's going bad and, and you start looking around and people are like shifting, what is going on here? It's that egregious. I think you owe it to everybody there to like stop that, to say, this is wrong. Hey, chief. If you'd like to talk about that with me, let's go talk right now. But there's more to this story and this tirade that's going on. It's not accurate. Like, it, this is not not on my watch. I think that needs to be done very tactfully. Because if you just are like, stop it. No, like, I, you think, can't I think it's, do this. excuse me, Yeah, Chief, exactly. There's more to the story. And if you'd like, we can talk in private. But I don't think what you're doing right now, what's going on, is actually helping the situation. It's not that, appropriate. That is a good way right? to do that. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to thinking about where your line in the sand is at. As a person, as a backseater, as an officer, as a chief, whatever. Where's your line in the sand? What are you going to stand up for? And I've thought about it. Maybe it never happens where I'm at, but I've thought about situations where it's like, all right, if this happens, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with putting my neck out there. I'm good with really stopping the situation I'm good with if I have to, so to speak, bow up mm. to say, hey, no, not anymore. Because I've thought about it, right? I've, I've thought about, I said, my line in the sand. This goes back to a little bit. Sometimes we talk about this when we teach our class is putting yourself in a position in your personal life where you can stand up for the right things in your professional life. I have literally not purchased vehicles, right? I've said no to that stuff because I don't want to be a paycheck to paycheck firefighter officer that needs this job that bad, that that will affect my ability to stand up or make decisions. I've done things in my career where I've said, you know what, if I get demoted or I lose my job, I'm okay with it because I can put my head on the pillow at night and say, you know, I did the right thing. And if it costs me my job, fine. 
Now it's not like I, you right. know, I That's do have a goal. family. Like Cody yeah. said earlier, you have a fam. You have your family at the house. You don't want at the firehouse that you don't want to leave, but you also have a family at home that you're responsible for. That's why it's like manage your personal life so you can make professional decisions that matter. So then, on the same topic, what causes like when you're talking, Cody? When you're around the big group, you stand up, but you probably think everybody else is thinking the same thing. Well, a lot of times in these situations, nobody says anything and it just goes. And then after say, whoever does the ask you and leaves, then guys are like, Whoa, what? That was messed up. Everybody talks about it then. Right. But in the end, the wrong never gets held accountable. So like why, what causes people not to stand up fear of yeah, probably fear of repercussions. Right. Sure. But go deeper. I mean, what fear of what? I don't know. I definitely feel like, there's a fear in the fire service about being chewed out. <laughs> it's like, sure. Yeah. You know, whatever that, uh, God damn, I can't think of the, the inglorious bastards, inglorious bastards. Like, right? I've been chewed out you before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, especially if you're a company officer and you can't handle getting pulled into an office to have a conversation about something about one of your people, right? Like that is super uncomfortable for you. I don't know if you should be a company officer because in my mind, that's, that's, one of the big important things that you can do, because as we were talking about this, I was thinking back and yeah, I've had my company officer stand up for me whenever I really needed it and how huge that was and how much trust and respect was gained from that happening. But in reality, it's what, it's what everybody should be doing. It should be the rule rather than the exception. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Craig. I mean, there's, there's a right way to do it. So you're in a group of people and you're trying to right the wrong. You're trying to stand up for your guys. Whatever's going on needs to be stopped. And there's a right way to do that too. Standing up and going, I mean, literally going, hey, shut the fuck up. Right. That just doesn't get it across either. There's a way to stop it and stand up for your guys, but also keep your standard high too. Yeah, you don't want to play in the mud. Right. You, you, know, you, you don't have to drop to their level. You right. stay at your level. But you stop it and you point it out and you're like, not on my watch. That takes some takes practice with small you little, have to little be, ones first. You, yes, but you have to think regularly about what's my line in the sand? What are my values? What will I not put up well, with? Who am I and wh- how do I define myself? When you ask the question of why aren't people in that circle doing that is because there's a high likelihood that they have not been self-reflective enough to know that. To think about like, shit. You have to get to a point where you're thinking outside of just your own world and yourself. So you have to be able to think bigger than you. Because if you're only thinking about you, then you go, if I stand up now, I'm the target. We're like, hey, he ain't yelling at me. Right. It's like, (laughs) oh, big deal. You know, like, ah, smooth it over afterwards. I don't want to put myself in the middle of that. Well, if you want to change a culture like we were talking about, you got to think bigger than you. You know, and you have to be able to say, you know what? Well, if this comes on me now, oh, well, all right, I'll deal with that. It's not easy. No. It's not like, it's not going to be. It's uncomfortable. It's very, it it does create stress, Mm -hmm. extra stress at work. It creates extra stress at home. You do question whether or not you want to stand up. You always do it, right? But you continually have those conversations of like, okay, what's important to me? What can I not let go? What do I have to stand up and do something about? The other thing is, how do you 
go back to the firehouse with the firefighter that maybe you didn't stand up for. And then you're trying to hammer home the brotherhood and, hey, I need you to be able to drag me out of a fire kind of thing. You got to think about not just me, it's my family. You know, you've got all these responsibilities and we, you know, like we, we harp on this brotherhood thing so often. And then whenever you have an opportunity to put your neck out, you know, risk a little bit of something to, to actually show that, you know, you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, I, I think that's what I was trying to get at earlier when we were talking about the brotherhood. It's not a birthright because you got the job and it's something that has to get earned every day. And it's instances like that that I think solidify not only your reputation, that you will stand up for what's right and that you'll have their back. And, you know, it could be something as simple as you spilled something in the bay their new guy obviously gets shit for not cleaning it up. And you just being like, no, nope, that was me. I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't need to be this big, giant act of, I'm going to fall on the sword for you, bud. It could be just something real small. Like, hey, man, it's me. Fucked up. My bad. It's things like that and things like taking people under your wing and truly being there for them. 